and welcome to the Everyday Board Game Podcast with your host, Daniel. And Daniel. Good morning, Daniel. How's it going? Good. Um, so, viewers might already hear <laughs> that I'm a bit, uh, you know, not congested, but I... It's just your normal nasally. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm normally nasally, <laughs> I'll give you that, but I'm a little more gritty than normal today. Um, you know, too much rocking out with, like, you know, System of a Down or something. Oh, I do have to tell you something big, though. Oh. Once we get ready to get after our whole intro. Did, did, did System of a Down remind you of that? Something of that nature, yeah. Huh. Well, okay. Color me intrigued. That was random. No. The big thing is just that, you know, I'm going to be leaving going to Cleveland to visit my sure, wife. She's up yeah. there for training. Sure do. So, there's two things I'm excited about I'm going to do while we're up there. We're going to go see Drew Carey's house, right? No. We're going to go see the Cleveland Guardians play the Toronto Blue Jays. That okay, I do we, that. Already got, we already got our tickets. Good. Pretty good seats, too. Right off the third baseline, fifth row. Nice. That, yeah. Catch a foul ball for us. Yeah, yeah I'll try. I mean, but on another note... That has to be Cubs level to get a foul ball like that bad. Uh, on another note, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be visiting the city, so I've looked into some... Uh, board game stuff that I might go check out. I saw your post about that. Yeah. Yes, okay. And I finally decided one of the days I'm going to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I don't think System of Down is in that, but... No, it, but it yeah. may be Rock and Roll. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. You know, lately I've been really... I've been really going down the rabbit hole of watching, like, vocal court coaches react to, like, System of a Down. Lincoln I've seen Park. that, yeah. One that, of my favorite ones is those when, are pretty entertaining. when they were reacting to uh, Tool, their live of Sober. <laughs> yeah. That was all hunched over. over and... They're like, how is he projecting like that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's such a rabbit hole and it's something hilarious. Yeah. But you can tell like, like there was this one, there was this one person who I saw that was specifically reacting to it and, and she was like looking, she was like, like giving a, like what seemed like pretty surprising reactions. She's like, hold yeah. on, I need to rewind it. And she goes right back and starts doing the exact same reactions. Like, no, no, okay. The second time, fool me once. Oh, the she could have been generally shocked that he was projecting the way he no, was. No, you could tell, like, there was one point where she was, like, listening to it. She was like, mm. oh, oh, surprising. Oh. But my favorite one was um, the System of a Down. I think it was Toxicity. Mm-hmm. being reviewed by a classical style composer oh, okay. and, and that was like he was listening to that for the first time and and during parts of it, he was like all right one two three four one two one two one two three one two one and he was like two, he was like all right that's in c minor a ooh, a minor wow that's a that's a, ooh, that's a distortion right there. that's good like are you seeing a mixolydian or something yeah, yeah like <laughs> like you can tell like he was really intrigued that was way more interesting than just like vocal i mean like as someone who sang for eight years, you know, in choir, yeah, it, there's a lot more that goes into it than you'd think. But there's something about a classical composer like reacting to it that's just like that's next level entertainment. I get that. And, yeah, I'm just excited because I get to go to the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, there's a lot of bands in there that are in the Rock yeah. and Roll Hall of Fame that I enjoy, like the Beatles uh, yeah. and several others. Uh, like who just recently got in? Like megadeth i think metallica's in there too oh yeah their one their one so. rule is that you just had to release an album and 25 years later you can get elected into the rock and roll hall of fame yeah 
Which is fine. I, I, I want to go see it. Uh, I was looking at this like five different levels. There's like a little area where you could do like a garage band thing. I'm like, mm, good. I'm going to go just, you know, check the exhibits and stuff like that. I was excited yeah. about that. Oh, I would love to go see Also that. planning awesome. on maybe if I have time to go see the uh, uh, Christmas Story House. It's a museum as well. My wife both saw that and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when she was there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good times. You need to do that. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to a couple shots. One I want to kind of want to try, everybody recommended, was the Warzone Matrix one. Because they said... They oh, have... the uh, board game shop. Yeah. I'm like, what kind of museum is that? That sounds awful. No, yeah, but okay. th- that from what they were saying in that post, that is pretty much a museum. So those a lot of people find those hidden gems, those hard-to-find games in that shop. Wow. So I'm like, I want to go there, but I don't know if I could buy like an actual board game, maybe like a card game or something like that. Because I have a carry-on. That's all I'm using. I'm not even checking well, anything. You know, I was worried about that when I traveled um, to Minneapolis last time. Mm. And what I ended up doing, which worked out pretty well, is uh, when I got there, I knew I drove up there, driving my brother-in-law up there, and I knew I was flying back. So I went to Goodwill, and I bought a suitcase. <laughs> and I only paid for one-way uh, travel bags, and that was just all games, because I knew that was going to happen. That's a really good way to do it. I'm you know, thinking about it, but it's, it's $30 charge for the bag. But think about the savings on the games. Yeah. I was that, thinking, like, you if know, I $30 had to... charge, I spent that on shipping uh, a large box, like, the other day. Like, a single game. And it was nearly 30 bucks. So, this is kind of worth it. Yeah, so, we'll see. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it, because I'm going to fly up on Tuesday... Gonna hang out in the city on Wednesday and Thursday, um, and then you know my wife's she's training, so I can't really hang out with her during the day. So I'm just ex- gonna explore the city by myself. And then that sounds so sad. No, I'm I'm, I'm gonna enjoy. It. I like that kind of stuff. I, I'm gonna yep. see a great lake, and that's one of the things I haven't seen. Yeah. Is an actual great Michigan, lake. Michigan, right? Is that the one that it borders? Uh, I think it's Erie. Is the oh. one that it borders? Yeah, I I just don't remember the lakes. Uh, I I remember the the names of them. I don't remember which is where. Okay. Uh, that's the thing. I think it's eerie. That's right there, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um. But looking forward to that, and then I'll be flying back Friday. But I'm we're on different flights because she has to do training, so I'm gonna have to kill about seven hours once I get back before she lands. So I'm just gonna stay in El Paso while we're, I'm waiting. Probably go see, go to Game Vault, see what they got there. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be go, worth it. Go have we'll lunch, get lunch dinner or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, they their uh, cafes shut down. Oh, that's right. That's right. I know. I, I was thinking, I was I like, I'm going to go do that. Oh, wait, I can't now. Well, there's that really bad Dickies that's over there, too, as well. I don't like Dickies to begin with. So. Dickies is good in the right way, but they don't do it right. So, regardless. But, yeah, so that should oh, be well. interesting. So, uh, just let you all know, we aren't going to record that day, but we are going to have that episode that is reasons. supposed to be recorded, then yeah. already filmed. I think we're going to do that next week. We're going to try. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. All right. So let's get into this. Um, we're going to be talking about some... Uh, our topic this week is in Top 8 Debate. It's off schedule a little bit, but we're going to yeah. be arguing about a, definitely a topic that we are overqualified to talk about. <laughs> Underqualified. Uh, oh, no. We're overqualified. This is the Top 8 War Games. Now, little caveat for our War Gamer listeners. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with the channel... We do board games. This is what we do. <laughs> uh, but there are ones that fall into the board game category that we have played. Mm-hmm. And we've decided, well, let's just debate those. Because we played quite a few. It was a bit of a struggle, too, though. Yeah, there was. 
A Twilight Struggle. Mm, that's not what I was going for, but sure. Anyway, so yes, that's what we're going to be debating today. But before we do that, Daniel, what have you been playing lately? Honestly, I haven't been playing a lot of the... Uh... Our game nights is pretty much it. I haven't really gone out to our other friend's house to play games, but the two that I want to talk about is from our last two game nights. The first one being Relic Runners. Ah, yes. We we played that about two weeks ago. Matthew you Dunstan. brought it in. Matthew Dunstan, Days of Wonder. You ended up picking it up on our Bookman's run. Yep. I liked it. It was it's quite intriguing because you're basically just running around the board. You're trying to build paths this way you can move faster and collect things to trigger the the relics to pop up and then you need to make sure when once there's two relics you can start collecting them you have to make sure you're in the location of one to click the button and able to run to where the other relic is yeah by the end of your turn to pick up that relic yep therefore you have to be able to get to it at some point, point yeah. during that turn and i think it's like what people are the first person with eight relics or Four of four, the same or something like that. Or something like that. Uh, oh no, it's a it's player count. Yeah. So, oh yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. For our, for a three player, it was like seven or eight or something like something that. Like that. But it was it was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. It's really quick because it's very simple. You either move down a path, or uh, and then you trigger a area. So if you're like on a tile. You could trigger trigger their ability. Sometimes they'll give you special ability. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll give you. Uh, a chance to lay down another road, or I forget what it like. The blue ones are just victory points. The purple ones give you a special ability. Yeah, it's for the some rest of them of the are game. end game abilities, mm -hmm. and others are discard when used. Yeah, no in game like, scoring. Yeah, and then the other ones are like discard when used, or something that gives you kind of a permanent ability. Like yeah. I had one that at that point where it's like you needed one of each individual relic mm -hmm. because that's where you're going to get your points. And extra ones are really not worth anything unless you have that thing that says, hey, and for every extra relic that you have of the same type, it's five points. So it gives you stuff to trigger for. It's it's quick. We played that rough in a new game for us, like an hour and a half. And that was just a teaching game, yeah. too, a learning game. But no, I, I really did enjoy it. It's really quick. It's gorgeous. Really good components for something that's about, what, 10 years old? Yeah. 2013, right when... Everybody was starting to get better at what they're producing, but not their... Uh, Days of Wonder has always been top tier. Yeah. But everybody else is trying to catch up to Days of Wonder at that point. Right, exactly. At that point, there was still the, the upper echelon. Very cool. But yeah, Relic Runners. I really did enjoy that one a lot. I did too. It was a good game. Um, glad I picked it up finally. Yeah. We, that was the one that stood out out of all of the Days of Wonder games. That, like, <laughs> that we haven't played I don't own. I'm like Relic Runners <laughs> seems like the one I would like the most, and I think I enjoy it quite a bit. Definitely not the most, but... Yeah, it's not the best Days of Wonder, but uh, our mutual friend is saying that he's going to bring that uh, Murder on the Orient Express game. True, and I really am and excited I, about that. And I really yes. want to try that one. Awesome. Uh, the first one I wanted to talk about was a game that we played from Pretzel Games, uh, whatever their, their name is, and this was one that we saw a preview of last year at the Gamma Trade Show. Okay. It was one of the funniest previews we had ever seen. And it has a three-letter title. It's a large mammal. Oh, Yak. Yeah, that's I haven't right. played that one. I know you haven't. We, I finally got a chance to play it. It was with uh, my Friday game group. And it was hilarious because the, the components on that are just absolutely phenomenal. 
the yak itself is made out of like a really hot, solid like uh, bakelite style thing. Mm-hmm. It's really durable. They have carts, and the entire time our mutual friend Jim, he was just playing with the yaks, <laughs> and it's just like you could like tilt the cart in a way where it like makes it look like it's like bucking up and down and stuff. So he kept like purposely running it into other carts and like knocking things over and like as if it's like charging like a bowl and it was absolutely ridiculous. What yaks do? We we had like twenty minutes of fun before the game started. Just like just fiddling with random stuff. Um the game itself was pretty fun overall. We I did like what it was doing. A very simple idea. You're either um spending resources into the cart to buy um to buy uh the the bricks from it trying to group certain bricks together um different colors the grouping at the end counts for points or you're trying to take resources from there or you're trying to take resources from the middle and then reload the carts okay so it's a pretty simple idea we you all play a car you choose what you're playing kind of like a pre-programming thing but it's Mm -hmm. only one card at a time and then you buy out the actions and all while these carts start rotating amongst the players Okay. And so you might be aiming for like a certain style of cart um, that's coming up to you, but then a fog token might come up and confuse the axe, which turns on the opposite direction, and then suddenly you have to wait a couple more turns, which is hilarious. The only problem that I had, other than the components are amazing, the, the rules are pretty simple and fun, um, there was multiple times where certain carts do not allow certain types of resources. Like there's bread, uh, meat, and... Milk. Those are the three resources. And Of course. Of course, yeah. And there'll be one card that doesn't take meat, one that doesn't take bread, one that doesn't take milk. And every single one of us at some point prepared for a really good turn and then forgot that the next card that was coming up that we needed everything was, was the only accept, or didn't accept the only resource we had. And so we were like, oh, oh wait, now our turn is completely bunk because we yeah. just can't do it. And that was a kind of a problem. Um it seems like overly simple and overly complex at the same time too. Like for as simple as it is, it's kind of convoluted. Like the whole fog token mechanism, I don't like that. I don't understand it. Because there's five cubes that are in the butt bag of cubes. In the butt. Sir. <laughs> no. They're That's in, what you said. They're in the bag. And there's a little mountain thing that has four spots, and there's a cardboard fog token on the fourth spot. Okay. So when you fill it up with its third fog, you remove that fog token and place all of those fog bricks back in the bag, shake them up, and then when it gets to its fourth, nothing else happens. Okay. It's just like, at that point, that's when you reintroduce those cubes to it. Okay. Which, it seems like, it had like a whole paragraph of like how it works, and I still don't understand why. Like, it just, like, put eight cubes in the bag. Or maybe they wanted to make them a little less uh, less common, but I think that's the same what time, they're probably going for, is to make it less common to be pulled. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just feel like it could have been done way better than what it did. Well, that's because you're not as smart as them. They designed it really I well. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> but other than that, Yak was uh, the first game that we played that night. Oh, nice. So the next game I'm going to talk about is what we played last Wednesday. Um, our buddy, it was our buddy's pick, and he hadn't played his copy of it, but you haven't played your copy of it, and I sure as hell haven't played my copy of it. And the only person who has played their copy of this game was our mutual friend Dom. 
but we have played its predecessor, and this is Almanac Crystal Peaks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what? None of us have played the copy of it? Yeah, that's true. We, I have not played it until that day. Yeah, and so I really do enjoy this series of games. I like what they're doing. I, I, I honestly hope they make more of them. Yeah. Uh, just You can see them sitting right there. They look like little books. Yep. Uh, right. But they're straightforward worker placements, but each page of the book, because you're literally playing in a book, has different little sets. And whoever's leading the the caravan can decide where they're going next. And so you have a little information. One thing's going to sell better at a location, but you're also going to be able to gain different things at a different location. So it's you got to kind of be well on the bid, do well on the bid, or be like me, like there's only one bid I really wanted to win. Sure. And it's just because I needed to get those specific resources where I could finish contracts. And that's the thing. You're fin- you're fulfilling contracts, you're gathering resources, you're turning in those resources to gain coins because the person who has the most money at the end of the game was the most successful caravan. Very simple worker placement game. But where it gets you is each individual page in that book has different rule sets. So you have to play... There's a section where you place ladders and then anybody that uses your ladder, you get a resource of your choice. But you get to the higher levels, there needs to be ladders in place and you better be able to make a path for you to get up there. You don't, it doesn't cost me anything for using your ladder, but you get a resource of your choice. So if you're blocked in a location, you're like, okay, I know people are going to want to fulfill contracts. Let me put my ladder over here. This way, if I can't go to a location where I need those resources, now I can choose a resource of my choice to help me fulfill my contracts later. So it's just that give and pull. And another page is like, oh, when you're placing, you have to place in a line, or you mm-hmm. can't place in a certain area because something else is there, or... My favorite one was like, okay, I'm in this building, so I can place it either in this building or this building because that was my <laughs> least favorite one. Like that's because it broke path. your brain. No, 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 it was fine. It wasn't that big of a deal. I was just like, that. I, I just my least favorite one. one was the the. Um, I think it was the last one. It was the the arena. Yeah, the arena. I, that I one broke my that. brain a lot. The one that I liked the most was the volcano. That one was cool. I like that one. The volcano was hilarious. I love the little push your luck aspect of yes. it because it's like, okay, I need these resources. Because the way the volcano worked was where you're, if you were going into a volcano location, depending on which one you went to, mm-hmm. you would have to beat a number. You roll an eight, what is it, eight sided die? Eight sided die. You got to beat the number of the location plus how many workers are on there. So if you're the only worker on there and it's a one, you only have to score two or higher. Right. Unless you get an X and then you immediately fail. <laughs> Oh, no, no, that was the encounters. That was the encounters. Yeah. yeah. But if you fail, you still get a resource. You get a fire resource, right. but you don't get the resources that you wanted. Right. But there was, like, some, like, the very tippy top. You needed to have a four just in the base there, and then your worker made it a five. So you needed to roll five or higher on an eight-sided dice, and there was three spots. So if three people went there, then you would have to roll a crit, basically. You would have to roll an eight to get that yeah, resources at location. Really genuinely. <laughs> yeah, so... It was a good time. I really did like this game a lot. I, I love this series. Um, honestly, I wish they... I, I hope they do more. Yeah. Because, honestly, you don't even need to give us, like, another big uh, box series like those. What are you looking for? Um, don't mind me. Uh, another big box series like that. Just give us books. Just give us more books. We have all the workers we need. Give us more encounter cards. We don't need a whole other box. We already got two of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, huh? uh, I'm going to act the Crystal Peaks. The last one I wanted to talk about was one that I just cut off my shelf of shame as well as you have it on your current shelf of shame, which is what I was looking for. Um, we had 
Uh-huh. Let me see which one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Feel free to take a look at that. Um, Star Wars Unlocked? That's right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How are you not looking at my paper? Uh, um, I was going to get it off my shelf of shame today. Because uh, my buddy was supposed to come over, uh, our game head geek was supposed to come over today, but then he got a honeydew list the size of the Nile. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he, he deserved <laughs> that after last week or something. <laughs> um, no, it, it, the last few weeks, me and a mutual friend of ours have been playing the unlocks and just mm. really enjoying them. Um, I ended up, uh, an, another friend of ours who was a regular at the shop, he started coming to game night, mm-hmm. and he had never done one of the escape room games before. So it was like, oh. We haven't started a new one yet. Jack Star Wars? Yeah? All right, let's do this one. So we did the first scenario, the easy one, because mm-hmm. it was an easy, a medium, and a hard. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm not going to give spoilers away, so don't worry. Yeah. But it is it is Star Wars themed, of course. Um, that one is, the the first one is, um, you're in, I'm going to say Hoth? Oh, it's the ice one. Yeah, the ice one. Yeah. You're, you're writing... Um, those mammals. I don't uh, know. I forget what they're called. Yeah. The uh, weird... They all come to me. The Tauntauns. Tauntauns, yeah. So you're riding a Tauntaun, and, like, the whole thing, it doesn't take story out of, like, regular Star Wars. You're not going to get spoilers for the movies or anything like that. Oh, come it's on. it's set in the theme. If it's and... based on the original trilogy, those movies have been out since the 70s and the 80s. If you haven't watched it yet, then Right. Then why on. are you even playing this? Yeah, exactly. Right? No. But, no, it doesn't give any specific stories. Like, there's no there's no craziness that, that like, you have to know Star Wars behind it but um being the easiest of the three we knew it wasn't going to be difficult mm-hmm. um it was, it was two pretty well experienced escape room players and one person who's never uh done one before so between us three there was an hour time limit we beat it in, in uh 28 minutes <laughs> and it was not even close it that's was not like, too bad though if you think about yeah. it because you me and i'm assuming it's the your partner Jim. yeah yep we did an escape room Pretty quickly. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and we're planning on doing it again this year if you go. Um, but no, it's... Yeah, that's going to be tough, though. Yeah. Th- this know. year, just because with her travel schedule. Because, well, wait, when is it supposed to be? The 1st of October, right? Um, no, like uh, 29th of September. Well, uh, end of September, early October. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's going to be a possibility, just yeah. for the simple fact of... Um, Sorry, we'll, we'll beat one for you. Don't worry. There we go. But, yeah, no, th- this escape room, it worked pretty cool. I, I always expect the unlocks now have something really kind of innovative something different about it and this one didn't this one didn't disappoint i think a lot of star wars fans who especially ones who have never done escape rooms before mm-hmm. will really enjoy this one um as far as lately the escape rooms that i've been playing this is not one of the most exciting um just because i think it's they're trying to make it a little easier just because they're I, i'm assuming they're trying to pull in star wars fans who have never done escape rooms before mm-hmm. so their level of easy is extra easy but that time will tell as far as the other two go because I have not done the second or third one yet. Uh, speaking of which, get a little off topic here, but I saw a video on YouTube. Did you now? Uh, of some people, they were doing an escape room on uh, online, and, okay. and it's an actual escape room. So what you have is that you and your buddies are working together with, uh, like I guess they call it like an agent or something like that, who's in the physical escape room and is using like a. Uh, camera to show okay this is what i see here this is what i'm looking at here this is what i'm looking at here and i was like that hurts my brain i mean i i already can't play video games that have first person (laughs) 
because I would get sick. Man, that would be old. that would be equally parts awesome and awful. I'll have to show you that time. video. But I, I, when I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, that is an interesting concept. Yeah. But that would be so hard to pull off because really was. they would be like when we're in a Zoom call, we, they'd be sitting in the screen during a Zoom call, and then they'll have the person who's like the host who steps out, and then you have the one person that's actually running the game for you. And for in essence, first person, all you see is their hand touching things. It's quite intriguing. That that is okay. Yeah, please show me that when we're done. But yeah. that was the second game I played, Star Wars Unlocked. Or I'm sorry, yeah, no, it's Star, Star Wars, Wars Unlocked. Unlocked. Yep. It it that's the only one of the Unlocked series that, that doesn't go unlocked in something. Yeah. It's Star Wars. Which also that's the only one in the series where you have to download a separate app for. Do you? Yes. Did you not have know to that. Download, I download that app one then. specifically for that one. Cool. With that being said, we're done with what we've been playing. All right. Let's get into the topic. That's right. Today we're talking about our top eight war games. games. And we posted this on the Facebook group. Board Game, uh, Revolution. Board Game Revolution. on Facebook in order to get a poll for the other people. So we will be using that. They're always welcome to add comments, explain what their reasoning, why they voted for it. Uh, but on the top eight, the reason we picked these specific games, these are not the top eight highest on Board Game Geek. They are the top eight um get highest ranked on Morgan Geek that we have both played. So that's a very specific caveat that we'd mm -hmm. like to clarify. And we also clarified to them too that this is a top eight debate uh, by board gamers, not yes. war gamers. Yes. Yeah, and I love how you put that as a clarifying thing. <laughs> so don't ream us too bad about it. Like, we get it. Like this is take it with a grain of salt. This is silly. It's supposed to be fun. But um we added in the top eight on here and before we get into our honorable mentions those top eight are uh, we have our number one seed which is twilight struggle going up against our eight seed risk star wars edition we have our number two seed rising sun going up against our number seven seed heroes land air and sea we have our number three seed kemet going up against our six seed risk legacy and before we move on the reason why there's two risk is because they play distinctly different vastly different yes and not even just like Compared to base risk, yeah. these two are already different than base risk, risk and, and different to themselves. Yeah. Yep. And our number four, Star Wars X-wing, versus the number five seed, Game of Thrones Second Edition. But of course, when we have these lists, we pick our top. We pick the top eight that we both play, but we have some honorable mentions too, and so does the audience. But before we get going on that, I'm going to read you the definition of war games as according to Board Game Geek. They are games that depict military actions. War games are set a variety of timelines from ancient period to present conflicts and even in the future. Thematically, war games cover everything from actions between small units to a very on a very small board to largely extremely detailed conflicts and even global scale war. Although most based war games are based historical, there are war games that are based on fantasy or science fiction, as well as war games based on hypothetical but historically based situations, i.e. nuclear war between the Soviet Union and the USA. Probably the most popular period for war games is World War II, uh, followed by the Napoleonic Wars and the American Civil War. Uh, there are three levels of war games. Uh, the three levels are tactical, operational, and strategic. Tactical games depict a skirmish, battle, or series of battles using smaller scale units and maps that depict a battleground with a few miles or less, sometimes much less in size. Uh, As an example, chess. Mm -hmm. Examples of tactical war games, advanced squad, leader, combat, commander, Pacific. Operational war games cover a broad scope of military actions greater than single battles. These may cover uh, entire smaller war or a series of operations or campaigns within a greater war. 
Uh, war games on the strategic level usually recreate a major war on a large scale. Typical units in such a game will be cores or army level, although in so-called monster war games, no set definition, but usually a game with larger maps, a lot of counters, it takes a long time. Divisions and even smaller size units can be depicted. Strategic war games are more likely than tactical or operational to include big picture issues such as production of new military units. Uh, other aspects, this is a long definition, people. Beyond the level war games are choices. For example, the games that focus exclusively on naval battles, campaigns are common, uh, depicting air battles are popular. With these rough definitions are a huge variety of mechanics, themes, approaches, and many level of complexity. complexity. Uh, it's generally accepted that on, uh, that on average, war games are more complex than any other type of games, although it is not that hard and not a hard, fast rule. Naturally, all war games include combat, although not all games that include combat would typically be deemed war games. Uh, and it also deals with, like, number of players, cardboards and miniatures. This is a very, very long uh, definition here, so I gave you the gist of it. All right. With that being said, even then, we're going to argue some caveats because we're arguing it from a board game standpoint. Yeah. So, uh, with that definition, we have some honorable mentions that we wanted to talk about. Uh, did you want to talk about ours or the viewers first? Do the viewers first. All right. So, added by Ian, we have Root, which is uh, obviously a fictionalized setting, mm -hmm. anthropomorphic animals, animals. different asymmetric yeah. uh, area control, and goals, and game goals that they're trying to go for. Mm -hmm. Very popular game. I have played it. You have not. I have not. Um, even then, I don't know. I wasn't super impressed with it, but... For my understanding... From what people have said, Root is a good introductory to like a coin series type sure. of war game. Yep. Even though it's not really good as an introductory game. No, that's that's right. Uh, the next one added here is a good introductory war game added by Mike. This is Memoir 44. I've heard this is probably one of the easiest ones for people to learn. Right. And other than the fact that this is area control, Max added Blood Rage. Do you agree with that? I didn't see it on the list, so yeah, I disagree with it wholeheartedly, in all honesty. Yeah. Because it, it's not really, it's more area control or area minority, yeah. whereas you're not taking tactical actions against another person. You're just trying right. to fight someone, take control of an area, but then again, the same could be said for a game that is on our list. Right. Uh, Max also added Ankh along the same lines of Blood Rage. Okay. Max added also... Star Wars Rebellion. He added a lot here, so we're going to just go through it. Max is a war game fan. Star Wars Rebellion, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, he also added Inish, and there is a comment down below talking about Inish where it's really not a war game because you can still win the game without getting into any conflict at all. Right, same reason like Scythe wouldn't be considered yeah. a war game. Um, Max also added Lords of Hellas. And Ragnarok, which are basically the same game, one's Greek, one's... Uh, Norse. Okay. He also added Marvel Crisis Protocol. And he also added Star Wars Shatterpoint, which and is a miniature skirmish game. How's it going, Illuminous? Hey, Illuminous. Uh, yeah, so Shatterpoint, I, I can kind of agree with, because it's a skirmisher game. Yeah. Uh, next yeah, up here is Dominant Species. Uh, I did see this on the list. I've never played it, so I yeah, can't... Uh, Ian added TI4, Twilight Imperium 4th edition. Uh, Peter added War of the Ring. And Joshua added Dragon Dice? Sure. Okay. So, Joshua explained 
Um, okay. So he, he explained his reasoning behind Dragon Dice, and without having read this, I'll read it to you guys and let's see uh, what his thoughts are. Despite originally marketed as a collectible dice game from TSR, Dragon Dice is a fact, a, or in fact a war game. Players build forces to an agreed health point value and fight to capture battlefield location using magic, missiles, and melee actions. It is now marketed by SFR as a compact war game with streamlined rules played with dice armies. Dragon Dice cap conceptualizes all of the elements of a miniature war game. The dice are your units, the terrain they fight on, fight for, and dragons summon to battle. Players need only a pocket full of dice. Setup takes five minutes. Five minutes? If it's just dice, six out of die, I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah, but only five. Five minutes, though? Ooh. Anyway, you can play on a card table. It has all the deep strategy of war game without having to paint miniatures or build terrain. Without having played it, I will not criticize that pick because it seems like he is very passionate about it. And, he, and he's uh, actually so thank you for... made some good points about it, too. Yeah. Uh, Rose Marijin, uh says, Twilight Imperium, whatever group I'm playing. Marijin? Oh, no, I no. see what you're... Yes. Yeah, whatever group I'm playing with, we end up debating and making deals across the table, and then someone manages to move to MR. And I, I was cracking up, not because of the name, I was cracking up because of Illuminous' comment of Splendor Duel being a war game. Um, and uh, Mechatol Rex is MR, just so those who haven't played TI4. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Uh, Jason added Risk Legacy because I'm banned forever from playing Risk because of how I um, dispatched my little nephew for his resource cards. He has two kids of his own now. I'm still banned. <laughs> Which is amazing, by the way. And this is the Jason comment I was talking up. about earlier from Chris. Inish, there's absolutely no need for war in that. Explore Bill Temple's breed. Oswald add, added Hard Choice. I love Blood Rage, Inish, and Rising Sun. Uh, Richard Cave says, struggled with Twilight Struggle, love Root. Patrick added, Root, Root, Root. There's nothing better. It's my favorite game. Uh, Ginger said, Kimmet, love power tiles the way the map makes it where you're never more than a couple steps away from anywhere you want to go. It is impossible to win by turtling, so you have to be aggressive if you want to compete. Ian added, hot take, X-Wings is a miniature game, not a board game. BGG has gray lines on what a board game is, which I don't disagree with. I don't disagree with him at all. But at the same time, it's still a war game. Yeah, you're still fighting. I mean, you're still fighting. It's still a war. And honestly, it works as a mini game to yeah. have it open-ended like it is sure. compared to other war games because right. you're supposed to be in space. Right. <laughs> I mean, if we if we had like the loosest of definitions, um, like yes, it's still something you play on a tabletop. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm not including Gauntlet Legends in my favorite war game. You know. <laughs> Uh, he also added Root, just so good. It's a hard teach, but once you get people on board, so much fun. Asymmetrical factions, well-crafted player boards, with built-in player aids, excellent components, personally a top 10 game of all time. And Illuminous, to answer your question, Undaunted was counted as a war game, but neither him nor I have played, played it. Yeah. Uh, Leighton added, most of my war games are sitting unplayed on the shelf, though I did play through the tutorial of Atlantic Chase, and it's fantastic. Combat Commander is good stuff, too. Hopefully, I'll get to the rest one day. Uh, Jason states, and this will be our last one here, for war games, I think Thunderbolt Apache Leader might be the top of what is on the list. <laughs> it's Two-player games are hard for us to get to the table. Uh, you have an easier time than I do 
I know. I you know I do have a much easier time, but that theme would immediately put everyone else in my family off. Yeah, I'm probably the only one that would play a two-player war game with you. Probably. In fact, that might be one of the ones on our list. <laughs> Let's talk about our un- our honorable mentions from our stuff. We each have. Three. We just got called out. Yeah, how do they call us war game? I mean, Undaunted is like what three years old at most. I do anyway. don't get me wrong I do want to try it but it's one I of those do. things where like I struggle because every time I see it on set I'm like oh but it's not gonna get played yeah exactly We're, it would be you buying it for us to play it once yeah pretty much although we might play it more who knows yeah I, I'm hoping you can find it like on one of your little uh, uh, savers finds or something maybe like that. <laughs> that, would be, that would be fantastic Some yeah Undaunted just shows up at a thrift store one day <laughs> yeah exactly that would be good alright so here's tails, here's heads. Let's find out who talks about our honorable mentions first. That's you. All right. So my first honorable mention here is I'm just gonna go ahead and get my joke one out of the way because it I I I honestly don't know understand why it's in the board game geek category. Yeah. So uh, even I stumbled upon this. I was like, that's odd. I I I think it's because of the license on it. It's sure. Technically. You're fighting with another racer group, and this is Star Trek Panic. I, I I honestly don't know why it was on Board Game Geek. No, I get with like Star Trek Ascendancy, uh, the 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 X-wing version of Star Trek. I can't remember what that one's called, but uh, Attack Wing. Attack Wing. Those sure they they were on this list. There, yeah. those are war games. This one, I'm like, I guess technically because you're fighting like Romulans and Klingons, and but you're technically not at war with no, them you're completing you're just, episodes yeah so it's like eh i sure whatever but i do want to talk about it because it's a great game um but if this is on the list then why is it, uh, castle panic not on this list right. or exactly. uh, munchkin panic or any of those things right so yeah it's just i wanted to put this on the list because i just found it funny that it was in the war games category right my number three um i wonder uh i mean it has war in the title, therefore it's a war game, because it is a game that has war in the title, and it's about war. This is nuclear war. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I, don't like, know. I didn't see that on the list. No, it's really not on the list. My number three was Caesar sees Rome in 20 minutes. I have wanted to and, try this one, too. And this one is, it really isn't a war game. It would, I would be really un, unfair to call it a war game, because there's not tactical battling in any aspect <laughs> It is straight-up area control because your chips are split down the middle. There's control on either side of it, mm-hmm. and you put it down on uh, between two areas, and that will decide which side you have power over control or controlling. So one might be a six and a zero, meaning the side that I put it facing towards, I have six power in that region and zero in the opposite region. Gaining control over certain regions will give you a special abilities, like to remove tokens, uh, place new tokens, gain extra uh, control, but basically you're trying to put out your control markers before the other player. It works really well, but I'm not going to push it hard. I don't consider a war game. I also consider putting Magic Arena of the Planeswalkers on this because that is also closer to a war game than either of those two are. (laughs) With that being said, I really do like Caesar, and I feel like that would be a great way if if someone is interested into like a war-battling theme... And you don't want to scare them away with a with a full war game. Mm-hmm. If they're like not a gamer, then Caesar or Caesar is a great way to do that because okay. it's a very easy concept. Okay. All right. Number two. 
That's you. No. All right. Yeah, number two. My number two um, was on the list, and again, it's it, it is more thematic as a war game because you are fighting over three different um, theaters. There's uh, air, there's land, and there's sea, and those are the cards that you're playing against. Um, this is called Land, Air, and Sea. And it's a which is not to be confused game. with Heroes of Land, Air, and right. Sea. Right, very different game. <laughs> this this is basically a like a a micro game. Yeah. Really, I mean, you're you have eighteen cards that you play between you and the three theaters, um, but you're trying to vie for power. And it's kind of like a little two out of three tug of war. Works really well. Um, I love the fact that you can flip cards. It turns them to a generic power. Otherwise, you're playing powers between it. Even those eighteen cards, you only get six cards. Every card has its own little special ability on how it works. It's a really smart little game, and mm -hmm. I can't wait to show you, honestly. I, I do need to try that one. Uh, so the next pick on mine, my list here, and I'm going to go with the big one. It should be my number one, but uh, the other game I have on my list is feels more as a war game. And this one is Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. Mm. This is a war game, in essence, but you can still win the game because it's the first person to a certain amount of points. I think it's like 10 points for the short game. Yeah. Um, and so you're you're doing it by either claiming land or controlling Nekatol Rex. You're doing action selections. You can turtle and be fine, but you still have to expand out as you need to go to get your empire going. It's a really great time. If you have the time investment for it, I say at least try it once. It's, I, I own the game and I haven't played that in it played it in a, quite a while but it, it is very good it is tactical there is strategy there is warfare you're basically fighting other players to take control of different parts of the civilization it's just the time sink for this one is rough because yeah. uh, uh i played a three-player game of this and it took us about four or five hours to get it done so twilight imperium fourth edition i do want to try that I, I want to, it's just that we don't really do all-day gaming, and that would be the only game we play that day. That's right. All right, and our last one. Starting with me, and this is the one I'm talking about, uh, where it gives you more of a um, war game feel, and this is yeah. should be two players only. Can go up to four players? I don't recommend I it. This is says. Star Wars Rebellion. Yep. Um... And I like this one because not only are you getting a uh, a fight in the space, you're getting a fight on planets. Yeah, the whole goal is you're the Empire trying to find the Rebels' uh, base. The Rebels can actually move that base somewhere down the line. Uh, it's it's a phenomenal game. I really enjoy it, uh, especially because it gives you that um, that feel like you start. If you're the Empire player, you're starting out with a lot of resources, and the Rebels have to build up. And build up. They're feeling very weak. They're feeling very anxious in the beginning part of the game. And then you get into the second half of the game. And they're getting that resources. They're getting the, the build up. They're they're starting to pump out troops. Kind of like in uh, the deck builder game. Uh, you are feeling a lot of that tension in a smaller aspect of it with the deck builder. But this one, when you want that war game feel, this is how you do it. You, you're fighting on the land, take control of planets. You're fighting in the air or in space to take control of the area of space and stuff like that. So you have generals that go onto the planet that fight. You have admirals that fight in space. You have all this stuff going on there, and the whole goal is for the the rebels to reach a certain point on popularity and then take out the Death Star. 
And then the whole point with the thing is you need to take your Death Star to the Rebel base and blow it up. Right. Uh, if you're the Empire. It gives you the Star Wars feel. It gives you the War Game feels. It gives you that tactical feel. I, I really do enjoy it. Cool. And the last one is a War Game. <laughs> Finally, I will be telling you about a War Game that I quite like. And this was originally made as you would... Uh, it has all the 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 standard tropes of war games. I know it you is. You cut out your little squares as your troops. Once you started doing this, I'm like, yep, 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 yep I was right. This tokens. is on your list. <laughs> Each one has its movement, its defensive value, its attack value. It has its uh, different levels of information. Except for one of the pieces. One of the pieces is significantly larger than the rest. And that is the ogre of this game. I absolutely love this game. It's a hex-based uh, war game. So you have the hex grid as the map. And one player plays as a single massive unit. And the rest of them plays with multiple uh, different fighters. And what set this game apart from any other... I was very hesitant to play it for the first time. And we played at the shop. And what made this game just absolutely a riot amongst everything else was when... Uh, I was playing against a player who was very well familiar with it, teaching it. And I started going up to some of his pieces. And I was like, okay, I want to blow these up. Wait a minute. Can I run you over? And he was like, yeah, you'll, you'll take tread damage. I'm like, that's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just ran over a bunch of his pieces that were trying to defeat me. And then I blew up the rest. Oh my god, it was so satisfying. <laughs> just, when I discovered that one moment, it was just so brilliant. It was like, wow, I can just straight up destroy half of your units because you came too close to me, and I'm just going to run your butt over. That's awesome. Like, any game that allows that level of ridiculousness is just funny. I love that. So, Ogre had to be my, my number one. I really do adore that game. It's one I haven't played in a while, and I'm actually kind of sad I haven't, but I would totally play that again sometime soon. Nice. All right, with that being said, that was our honorable mentions. Let's get into the wargaming. And I do like to point out, Illuminus is shots fired right now with <laughs> Twilight Imperium being a sleeper fest. Uh, yeah, no, he, he also went to the deck builder, too. That's true. I do like the Star Wars deck builder quite a bit. I do like Star Wars deck builder as well. It's just that if different flavors, I guess, for, if you want. Star Wars Rebellion is really good. I don't know. Would Blood Bowl be considered a war game? Never played Blood Bowl, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, I know it's a sport thing, but it's like war battle version. I don't know. Probably. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't say so on BGG, so I don't know. Yeah. According but then to BGG, again, what is BGG now? Star Trek right. Panic's a war game. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I do agree that their line is a bit gray. Notice that on Star Trek Panic, question marks. <laughs> right. That's how I work. <laughs> Nuclear war. All right. So, in this... In this top eight debate, the way this works is quite simple. We take the top eight games on Board Game Geek that Daniel and I have both played. We are going to argue them out in a college uh, football style oh, okay. uh, brackets. Like... Well, I mean football style brackets, right? Um, we're going to see the top eight or top one versus eight, then down so forth and work. Anyway, and then reseed in the second round, higher seed faces lower seed. That's right. So we're always going to do that until the final two, where we debate them out. Each of our games have a criteria that they must meet in order for us to consider them to move on to the next level, and that includes our number one ease of play, familiarity, and simplicity of their mechanisms, 
likelihood to get it to the table, whether it's mechanism or theme. Didn't we change that from last week? I thought there was something. No, it's the, the one underneath. Ah, yes. And then, is it easy to learn, understand, or to teach? Uh, the next criteria is replay value, the length of time and scaling well, the minimum number of plays for the full experience, as well as expandability, which includes already existing expansions up to one possible future expansions or expansions that have been confirmed by the designer or publisher. All right. And meaningful choice, impact on other players, the depth of strategy, tactics, or skills, which will be very wide range in this mm -hmm. game, or in this uh, debate, and do arbitrary choices or analysis paralysis have an impact on the actual gameplay itself? Uh, as well as game immersion, is the game fun to lose? Does it involve a lot of player interactions, i.e. table talk, role playing, um, all that sort of stuff, and memorable moments? What's the thing that's going to make you stand up and scream and make everybody look at you in a room? That's right. And art and production. The art, the pieces and components, and the graphic design. Those are all up for debate. We know that some of that is subjective, but as always, some of it's not. Yes. As well, if we cannot come to a consensus with this criteria, that's why you need to be a part of this and go to the Board Game Revolution on Facebook and look for our poll to vote. Tiebreaker moves the game on. And also, feel free to vote in our chat if you're watching us doing a live episode. And if you're not watching us do a live, why not? Come join us live. Come <laughs> vote. Like our friend Illuminous, please voice your opinion in the chat as well. Let's get into the first one. You ready? Yep. We have our... Number one seed, Twilight Struggle. Gonna up against our eight seed, Risk Star Wars Edition. As always, I'll flip the coin of Doom. He'll draw from the Cup of Doom. That'll decide which one of us argues for which side. Here we go. I'll be starting us off. And you get Twilight Struggle. Twilight Struggle. Oh, boy. So, <laughs> where do I begin with this? It was intimidating the first time I ever busted out. It is a massive board, a huge world um, that you are going to be debating. Well, well of course it's a huge world. It's our world. Right. It is the world, right? But no, it's this massive map that you are competing over. This game takes place over the Cold War, where you are either the side of the USSR or the USA, vying for power over pretty much the, the whole world. world. Yeah. And so you play over multiple ages. Um, by the end of the game, is either someone will win by having the most points, or... If you have... Yes, uh, it is Twilight Struggle. Twilight Struggle, yeah. Or if you have uh, pulled your side all the way to the most influence, then you win. It's not technically battles, but this was the most in, this was the most intriguing uh, battle game I think I've played up until this point. When you and I played this for the first time, you're the only one who I probably would play with. Yeah. I bought it hoping I would enjoy it. Because I it was number one seed on... Board Game Geek for a long time, long the number time, one yeah. game. And so I was like, okay, I'm willing to always give something that that well-known a try. And if I remember correctly, it's still in the top 10 It or should 20. still be in the top 10. I believe so. Um, the way this game works is quite simple. It's a card-based system. You're playing cards on your turn, trying to sway uh, powers on either side, maybe try to add more influence on that, gain, gain control over certain areas, um, or just overall try and gain power over uh, different areas. And the way I ended up winning was actually the third way to win is I had complete control and domination over Europe when that scorecard came out. And one of the cool things about this game is that... You didn't win. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I won the I round lost before. by one turn. 
Yes. Because of that. I pulled but, it, because uh, there's also like a push and pull aspect of the game. Yes. Where there's a tug of war. Whoever gets the 21st wins yes. the game. Absolutely, yeah. And so we're fighting over this tug of war, going back and forth. And the cards that you play in your in your hand, you can have the scoring cards. So you score what continent scores when. Mm -hmm. And so it's up to whoever has the card in their hand, knowing when is the valuable time to play it. Okay. <laughs> Which will help you in that tug of war. I love that system. Yeah. That's so brilliant. Because if I know that I don't have it, and we're on like the last hand of that deck... I'm suddenly very <laughs> nervous because I know you have that continent. Yep. Personally, I think this is like this was one of the most riotous like times we've oh, had it was like a, a two player game. time. I like this a lot. Um, that's not to say I didn't like the game that you're about to debate, but I don't see how this couldn't move on. Um, I, Luminous says it didn't age well. Eh, I can see that uh, they have updated it with some other games i think with the the cape of africa or something like that the horn of africa that's okay. a more updated version of this game mm -hmm. uh but yeah no everything you said is true it, it was a phenomenal game i'm glad we played it uh i may even just pick myself up a copy to say i own the game just because yeah. i don't think it's ever going to get played other than with you probably not so but it was that good i really did enjoy it a lot mm -hmm. uh but the game i have to argue about is risk star wars uh edition the thing about this game this is the most distinct Risk I have ever played because it has nothing to do with Risk. Risk Legacy plays a lot like regular Risk right? with special rules and stuff like that. This one is because you're playing on three different distinct battlefields. And mind you, this is, uh, this is another one of those Star Wars games that I highly recommend you only play two players. This way yes. you have full control of everything. Yeah. Uh, playing four players is it, it's functional, but it's weird because it just bounces back and forth. You got half the deck. You're working with your teammate. Maybe like maybe you should play that. Or I can play this. Stuff like that. Sure. Uh, I like the fact that it has three distinct battlefields. You got Darth Vader and uh, Luke Skywalker battling it out. You have the I think it's the um, what is that planet called with the Ewoks? Uh, it's the moon. Endor. You're fighting on the ground with Endor with the different troops. And then you're also having the space battle in the thing. And the, the board itself is shaped like a TIE fighter. Yeah, because which is it, pretty great. Which is cool because it gives you the three distinct fields of play. And so you're just playing out cards. And I, I don't think there's dice in this one, is there? Yeah, there's, I'm sure there are. Yeah. You're rolling some remember. dice, putting out troops, and fighting and trying to take control of certain areas. And there's like one in the game trigger that just automatically wins, and that's the lightsaber duel. So if you pull the track all the way to one side, it ends the game. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's it's really, really good. Because um, the space battle, you're fighting against the Death Star. There's a card in there for the Empire side that just allows them to shoot off that the Death Star. Mm -hmm. It is phenomenally well done. It's a great game. I don't see it moving on. Okay. Um, both games are not easy to play. <laughs> nope. Uh, nope. The replay value aspect, Twilight Struggles just has so many cards in there. Yep. Um, that it just feels different. And there's, uh, there's so, so much there's more so many, choice. Like, there's so many different ways to play those cards too. They're multifunction cards. I think the one category I would give to Star Wars, uh, Risk Star Wars, is um, art production. It even though it's a mass market game, the production value is just a little bit better for a game that came out. With. I do remember the board sitting a little off. Yeah, I yeah. do remember that. But again, it's Hasbro, so 
And then if you get the black edition, it's much, much nicer, too. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, yeah, I honestly think Twilight Struggle moves on. All right, I agree. Twilight Struggle. I am having a hard time writing that. <laughs> I am struggling. All right, so the next one we have is Rising Sun versus Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea. Here we go. Oh, this is your favorite bracket right here. This is my favorite bracket, let me tell you. You get Heroes of, of Land, Air, and Sea. Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea. Uh, this is by Scott Alms and from <laughs> Gameling Games, and yet not of the Tiny Epic series. This is like the biggest of all this, the games. This is easily one of the biggest ones <laughs> no, because no, no, it's no, no, massive. No. It is the biggest yeah. of all the games. Because, I mean, he's done the the solo games. He's done the Almanac. Yep. Nothing, all those games combined in the Tiny Epics don't equal the size of Heroes Land and no, Red Sea boxes. No, it really doesn't. I mean, but so immediately that puts it in contention. I'm not saying it wins, but it puts it in contention for art production, yeah. right? Um, it, it's a really great production. But this one, you have the, the different theaters. You have Airline and Sea that you are fighting against. But these are fantasy-style creatures. Um, you are battling against them. I don't remember the exact mechanisms on how you battle them. But I know that there is some uh, distinctive area control and how you move. Um, I don't have much else good to say about it. Oh, I really like Scott Alms' designs. I will give him not that. Not this one. <laughs> I, this is one I am not a fan of. Because, and here's the thing. Um, when we played it, you could completely ignore at least one of those. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think a single I, one, one of us, us did air. One of us went to air, yeah. No. We only did land or sea. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. And in fact, land and sea are your major requirements, or the ones you were going to concentrate right. more. Because you're going to control like an island, uh, this way you get the control there. Yeah. And then you're going to just take your ship to the other one instead of using, because like, you have to get up to a different tier system just to right. get into the air with your dirgeables or whatever they have right exactly no i just felt like it was too easy to to push it from a three-player game or from a four-player game down to a three-player game down to a two-player game and only two people are having fun with it that yeah. was my big argument against it i think um and it's funny because i like yeah. a lot of like dudes on the map these kind of tactical skirmisher games yeah. i was not enamored with this like our other two friends were right like, we played it with our friends bryce and dom the main ones we always play with and you and me were both were just sitting there like I mean, I liked probably liked it more than you, but even then, you did, I was like... because I didn't like it. I was like... Yeah. I, if I, and there's another thing. If this has a runaway leader ability. Yes, it does. If someone is playing really well or has a good jump to right. the, the game, it they're, they're gone. You're, you're going to have a have hard time catching up. 20 game. minutes through that game, and I could have left, and it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, because uh, I got third place, I think, in that game. Probably. And even then, it was like... Yeah. Nowhere near what the first, the top two were. When it comes down to like that whole factor, is this fun to lose? No. No. I didn't enjoy most of it, and you know, and I, and that was a shame because I was genuinely really excited, and I, yeah, I don't know what happened. It didn't translate. It didn't work. I'm glad that this wasn't part of the tiny epics because I do generally like most of those. Um, There's a I feel like, like they could have branched into tiny epics. If they I was, really wanted to, but I'm glad they did. My biggest disappointment with this game was the fact that he finally made a big game, but there was no meat on the bone. Right. It was literally just a bone. Yeah. Like, you could see there was, was, really there, bone. There was something there. Yeah. Like, something. It's just, it needed more. Not this it's this stuff, game but it more, was a giant bone. More streamlining than anything. Yeah. Yeah. It was clunky. It was big. I didn't like it. 
But anyway, go ahead and argue your side. I am sorry I'm not arguing this very well, but um, sorry. Yeah, so here's my thing about Rising Sun. Honestly, I have a big issue calling this one a war game. This is straight up area control, even though I love this game. Out of these two games, I play Rising Sun hands down. Yeah. I, I like a lot of the fact of what it does, where you're working with a teammate if you possibly want. Uh, you're working with, or you can betray them if it means really good for you to do something. It's basically an army dukes it out. You're making decisions to, to choose to keep your army in there, or you're, you're bidding on this stuff to hire Ronin, to use your gods, or, uh, you know, seppuku and just kill your troops to gain money off of that. It has a lot of war aspects of it, but it no more so than Heroes Land, Air, and Sea. In fact, I think there's more war game aspects in Heroes Land, Air, and Sea than there is in... Though, I do like the fact in Rising Sun, you have those Lotus Clan, or the Dragonfly Clan, where they could just airdrop themselves into any location that they want. They're like the Spec Ops Troopers. That's right. Those were pretty fun. Uh, so, I do enjoy this game a lot. Uh, I think it is a better game than Heroes Land, Air, and Sea. Uh, it's actually easier to teach and learn. I think it's, yeah. it wins ease of play because it, at, when it comes down to it, you're drawing three tiles. In the be very beginning, you're deciding to work with someone or not if yeah. you do work with someone you're discussing with them during the phase you have three tiles on your hand and you get to make the decision no matter what you discuss with them but you have um good tactical meaningful choice in this one because you're working with someone or not you can betray mm -hmm. them or not you can say hey this is what we're going to do and then do something completely different yeah. so it's just a lot of interesting aspects of what this game is doing Compared to Heroes Land and Air and Sea, I think this one should move on. Uh, but let's go through the easy play, Rising Sun, I think. Okay. What do you think? I would call it a wash. Neither of them are particularly easy. I don't think uh, Heroes of Land, Air and Sea was specifically difficult oh, to learn. It was. It was it just was, convoluted. It was very convoluted. Like, uh, I understood how badly I was I have doing. an easier chance of... Uh, teaching Rising Sun than I would with Airland. I, I feel like I can't make that call just because it has been so long, long and it was just such a sour experience. I don't think that would be fair. Alright, so you watch that. Replay value, uh, Rising um, Sun. Rising Sun, yes. Uh, meaningful Choice, Rising Sun. I yep. think there's such good stuff. Absolutely. Game Immersion, Rising, Rising Sun. Sun. Yep, and Art and Production. production. Although, Land, Air, and Sea would give them a run for the money yep. there. <laughs> yep. But I agree, Rising Sun moves on just by our criteria alone. Also, I'm going to act like I'm writing because I already wrote it down. All right, our next one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. Cause I, and it hurts me so much because I like Scott Arms' designs. The vast majority of them I really enjoy. And this one was one of the most frustrating experiences. Sorry. I don't um, blame you. Our next one is our number three seed, Kemet, versus our number six seed, Risk Legacy. This has turned to like the area myself. control aspect of right, which I war mean, gaming. War gaming parts of it that you can gain benefit from area control, but really, I mean, it's this is you. Yep, you get Risk Legacy. Okay, so obviously, Risk is the war game, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean. Not with, like, No, no, games. Campaign no. for North Africa is sure, the war game. Sure, <laughs> Campaign for North Africa. And, like, you have, you know, Command and Colors series and all those other ones. So I get I get all those. But I'm saying the one, if you say war game to somebody who's not a gamer, what is the first thing they say? 
risk, risk right? Yeah. Because it's the game of global domination. It's well known for that. And what Rob Davio, friend of the podcast, said, um, he had to basically design it in secret because mm-hmm. he knew he was taking a beloved IP and he was doing something amazing to it. And he knew what he was trying to do. And a small team of people knew what he was trying to do, but they mm-hmm. had to ultimately keep it completely secret from the company as they were doing it because it was such a drastic departure. Now, prior to Risk Legacy coming out, I used to play a game with my family called um, Risk 22108080 or something. Yeah, like that. that was actually on yeah. the list. Yeah, 22108080. I actually remember quite fondly liking that because what it did is it didn't make it so you had to completely destroy the world. You had certain amounts of objectives and you could get those objectives by like putting out planets or putting out stations on parts of it, um, settling in different areas. There's multiple planets or moons mm-hmm. that you can settle to. Uh, you were gaining special abilities. There's a lot of cool ideas. And I think Rob Davio had, an ass, had, a, had a hand in developing that. And it turned risk from a pretty pretty fun but you know not great overly long game to something that was concise played less than an hour and had really good meaningful choice to it so then he ramped it to 11 yep and added the whole legacy idea behind it now we're not completely done with this but no no we're not and but the fact is that he invented legacy with this, this game. game. Mm-hmm. This was the one. It wasn't the biggest one. Pandemic Legacy was bigger. But this is the granddaddy of Legacy games. Yes. We wouldn't have Pandemic Legacy or a lot of the campaign style games either if it wasn't, if it wasn't for the for success this. of yes. Risk Legacy. Yeah. Now, you and I have played uh, a few scenarios in it uh, with a group, with a friend of ours, and every single time we've played it, we've had a blast. Oh, yeah, it's we, fun. It, it's just silly. It's over the top. It's on purpose. You're destroying parts of the board. You're adding stickers. You're getting I, my, super my favorite abilities. Memory it's turning asymmetric. It's genuinely fun. What I really, my favorite memory of this is there's like something in there, and this is a slight spoiler, where it's like right. push the nuke button or something like that. It, we're egging our friend to do it just to yeah. see what would happen. And, and we don't know what, like, what... <laughs> would happen yeah like and and there's something crazy and there's even like you know there's little easter eggs hidden throughout Mm -hmm. the thing which i'll let you discover yeah this has a lot of cool things going for it Mm -hmm. um and and don't get me wrong i did enjoy my time playing kevin i i did and i even i i told you guys like wow that's a war game or that's a area control game that i actually kind of enjoyed. enjoyed yeah yeah i would play that again but Risk Legacy, I want to play again. Mm-hmm. Like, if you guys picked uh, Kemet, uh, bl- we're specifically talking like Blood, Blood and Sand. Sand. That's Blood the Sand. most recent one. That's the one you can get. That's the one we've played. Yeah. It's just that the way we do things, if there's two games of the same, we pick the highest, we pick the, the, the highest one of the thing. Yeah. And also, basically, Kemet Blood and Sand is like the 2.0 version of Kemet. Right. There's some slight role changes and added expansions into the base game. Yeah. That's pretty much the difference between the two. Yeah, exactly. And that and that that was a game that if you guys brought over, I would gladly play again. Mm-hmm. Risk Legacy. I want to finish <laughs> this campaign. That's I, sitting I, right up there. My yes, box. Yeah, you got is, two boxes up there. I have two. It's just that we played those games two, here, so that's why you left them here, yeah. so you don't have to lug them and back and forth. And they've been there for like <laughs> three or four years. Now. Yeah. And I I want to play more, and still to this day, it's, yeah, it's, it's a positive memory. So. That being said, uh, don't forget to argue your side. All right, so Kimmet, 
hands down, one of the, especially the Blood of Sand version, one of the best produced games out yes. there. This is pretty. Matago did a spectacular job with this one. Uh, no, it's no more complicated than Risk Legacy. I think Risk Legacy is just slightly easier because a lot of people are very familiar with how Risk plays. Yeah, roll dice compare the results. I know there's a lot meaningful choices in Kemet because, again, as someone mentioned earlier in there, you can't turtle. This is one of the things where they did fix that turtling rule or thing that a lot of people do in like these dudes on the map games where they build up their armies in a little section over here because this one you have to specifically get control of certain areas because you need to get a certain amount of victory points. And if you're just staying your little corner of things, you're not accruing those victory points as fast as possible. Right. Uh, you could sacrifice them to the crocodile god. You can go and claim things, which allows you to get more people on the map. If you get a certain amount of people, you can claim all the scythe, like a victory point of some sort. Uh, then you have, and it's like the first person to, what, I think it's like 10 victory points or something, something like that. Something to that effect. And then, but you have... It's also true for risk. Yeah, but it's also, uh, you have permanent victory points once you gain them, they're yours, but there's also victory points that can be stolen from you and they go to another player because they then succeeded and surpassed you in certain aspects of it. I love that aspect of it where it blocks the turtle. Uh, I prefer Ankh over Kemet. Actually, I prefer Kemet over Ankh. Um, and it's just for the simple fact that I love the the aspect of way Kemet protects you from getting one of those players that build up their army and stick in their thing and just start accruing their points. Basically, turtle the Australia and risk. That's the best way to describe it. The Australia, uh, yep. Uh, what is it? The Australia. Uh, I can't think of the term, but yeah. but it's strategy. There you go. The Australia yeah. strategy, where they sit in Australia and they just build their army and then they start sweeping. Right. Basically, the Mongol horde aspect after they build everything up. Um, this one, commit you can't do that because you're not getting the points fast enough. Yeah. Uh, I actually read into it and saw that people are saying you can't do it. So I tried to do it, and it's true. You can't. No. It's, it's so, so hard. Like, halfway through the game, I had to pivot because I wasn't getting those victory points, and you guys were starting to run away from me. That's right. Uh, but, yeah, so ease of play, replay value. Kemet uh, gets the replay value, sort of, and it's just with the expandability. Um, because, I... because minimum number of fulls of play experience. Uh Honestly, I don't know if I could give it replay value either because it's a really long it's, game it's if you play with more people. Right, yeah. I mean, the scaling isn't great. But minimum number of plays, I mean, that goes to Risk Legacy. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's going to go there, but I'm just going with, like, the expandability yeah, aspect yeah. of it. No, Both I, over... I mean, Risk Legacy is so much faster than regular Risk. I mean, you've got to take that out of the equation, right? And we were playing games in less than an hour. Yeah, that's why I was saying, like, Kimmet could win the scaling well, but it's just... Eh, not so much because risk plays really good at three. Right. Um, I mean, meaningful choice we give to uh, Kemet. Kemet, yes. There you have. But to game be... immersion is risk like. Oh yeah. Yeah. Art and production is Kemet as well. So Kemet. ease of play is really what we have to go. That's right. And risk is easier to play. Yeah. Yeah. So, so risk legacy. Moving on. Risk legacy. There we go. That goes here. Ooh. That sets up a really good matchup in the next round. Yes, it does. And our final round of uh, the quarterfinals is going to be Star Wars X-Wing versus Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, the board game. And I'll be starting us off. 
I'm excited for this one, actually, quite a bit, because I both really like both these games. I'm okay with both. You get Star Wars uh, X-Wing. Okay. So Star Wars X-Wing, I mean, as I agree, it's not technically a war game, right? It's a miniature skirmish game. But we're being pedantic. Let's be real. It's a war game. You're being pedantic. Well, true. Um, but I can understand why people don't claim it as a traditional war game, but it is 100% a war game. You're mm. using rulers. You're using pieces to move around. You're using maneuvering tactics. You're fighting each other. This feels like a, a Star Wars-style dogfight. It really does. It really does, yeah. I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. I'm not the biggest war game fan. I liked it when I used to own this. And I played it quite a bit. Um, I just didn't end up stop playing, and nobody played it with me anymore. So I sold it. Yeah. Oh, well. But there's a reason I used to own it. Now it's because I genuinely enjoyed the battle fight that it did. This was 100% tactical-based. Um, the way that you maneuver your stuff into position to fight with each other... The way that you were aiming to, to beat each other up, I I like I normally don't like dice rolling in a game like this, but the dice that you roll on these in this game mm-hmm. really does feel like you're you're going pew pew off in the distance trying to get this guy, and it's a hundred percent like you're just like trying to keep him in your line, and the number of hits is just all your lucky shots that did hit him, yes. you know, like it. That's one of those few things where it's like that kind of justifies the random in it. And I think it works really well. Um, I agree with Illuminous. Yep, the yeah. minis are really, really cool. To the point where they were selling minis for this game that were like, you know, 80 bucks like for yeah. retail cost. And the thing is, they were pre-painted too. Yeah, so pre-painted. Fantasy Flight did a great thing. And they're still mostly supporting it. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, kind of. Didn't they give it to... who? Who's the one the company that There's gave another it? company that is supporting it, but it's still in production to this day. Yeah, yeah. And, that's and they great. came up and with a second Armada. edition. Um, they also set up like second edition rules that you could take over your old stuff from the first edition. Yep. Over yep. To second so they're edition. still supporting all the people who play competitively. Uh, so Armada, I, I like Armada for the aspect that it's not the dogfight anymore. It's the space battle. So you yes. have the big ships. But if I'm going to pick the between the two, I'm going to pick X-Wing. Yeah, same here. Um, but that's my argument. All right, so this game next is funny because you had Star Wings, uh, Star Wars X Wing. Mm-hmm. I had Game of Thrones Second Edition, and I sold that copy. I <laughs> sold Game of Thrones as well. Yeah, so I had I ended up selling it, but just because it never got played. It was it's the yep. big. Knock. I owned mine for four years, and it played once. I played mine twice, and I had it was one of the first games so we ever had. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it actually got played three times because I lent it to uh, your replacement to teach at uh, the shop. That's right. That That's when right. you you had to move up to Albuquerque for all of a year. That's right. <laughs> but uh, Game of Thrones of Second Edition, if you want a game that gives you that Game of Thrones feel, yes. don't deal with the LCG. Don't deal with uh, the the what is it the. Iron Throne? Iron, not the Iron Throne. The one that's the Cosmic Encounter replacement. Yeah, that's, that's Iron Throne. Yeah. yeah. Which, I, that, no, that, that gives does you, feel like it. It does give you a little bit of but, feel. Yeah. Nowhere near <laughs> the way this game gives right. it. Because it's diplomacy, like we were talking about with Rising yeah. Sun. You're ma- willing and dealing and making uh, deals with other players in the game and breaking them left and right, stabbing people in the back. Yep. You've got to make sure the wall is taken care of. This is this one actually is more based off the books than it is the actual TV yep. series. Well, this was created before. before yeah, because the, the second series. edition yes. got re-updated because yep. of the TV show. 
<laughs> no, I think Second Edition came out still before. But so. It did, so. but they had announced the TV show, so they knew it was going to become popular again. I see. Uh, but it is phenomenal. It is a war game, because you are fighting with the different yes. houses for control of certain areas. You're trying to keep that control because you're feeding your supply lines by having those controls. And if you lose that production line, you start losing troops. And so you have to pull back to certain points. You're making deals with a smaller army or a larger army. This way you don't get integrated into their army. But this game is so long. I thought Twilight Imperium was long. Yes. This one feels long. Twilight Imperium didn't feel long at all. Because when it goes to, like, what we're talking about, is the AP making an impact on the game? If you got a player who's very prone to analysis process, it's going to grind the game to a halt. It will. Yep. Uh, but, oh, I love this game. I actually prefer this game over X-Wing, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I know you are. No, I, you know, and I really did enjoy owning this one, too. Uh, the one time I played it, I loved every minute of it. Oh, but it again, so it took like nearly four hours, yeah. minimum. The thing about Fantasy Flight, they don't care about time. Uh, Elder Scrolls, uh, three-player game. It's an hour per player, basically. Elder Scrolls, yeah, Arkham Horror, same difference. This one, three-player, four-player game. And this one's three minimum, if I remember correctly. I think so. Yeah. Uh, that's another reason why it was hard to get to the table because it is three minimum, and right. there's, there's not a lot of times where I want to play this at three players, let alone six. No. You you want it to feel like it's a big, epic, sprawling, yeah. massive thing. I mean, what what they basically did with Game of Thrones, the board game is that they took Diplomacy, the game, mm-hmm. and and revamped it to the Game of Thrones universe, but then really refined it. And what they did to it really does feel like Game of Thrones. Yeah, is, you do. It is 100% that feeling. Right. Um, so so which one is easier said, to play? X-Wing. X-Wing, <laughs> by far. Replay um, value, X-Wing. Yes, because of all the different models and different ways you can Meaningful play. choice for me is Game of Thrones. Uh, absolutely, yep. Game immersion. Now, here's the tough part here. Art and production. It, it, X-Wing is moving on because art and production, Game of Thrones, right. is not going to compete with that. No. But the, when They're it comes... They're both fantasy flight. Yeah. Those pre-painted minis are just fantastic. Fantastic, yeah. The game immersion, though. I, yeah. I, as much as I love X-Wing and it does make you feel like you're dogfighting, mm-hmm. this really made me feel like I was in the in world. In all aspects of the world. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree. But with that being said, Star uh, Star Wars X-Wing does move on. All right. Which brings us to our semifinals. But before we do that, Daniel, tell them how many votes, or what percentage of our votes from the audience did our four eliminated games get? All right. So just get me do some stats real quick. Uh, because I have to find it. Okay, there it is. Mm-hmm. All right. So... In last place was our sixth seed, Risk Legacy, that had no love, 0% of the vote. And mind you, there has been a lot of votes. I just checked it earlier. I think we had, yeah, 100 and... Wait, Risk Legacy was moved on. Oh, Risk Legacy moved on? Okay. Oh, Star it was Wars Kim at that. Yeah, that, that was Kim at that did not go on. Right. All right, so Kim it actually had 8% of the vote. I'm still sad Risk Legacy has nothing, huh? Yep. Spoilers. Uh, we weren't supposed to reveal that yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my right. bad. So you have Risk Star Wars Edition has 1% of the vote. Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea and Game of Thrones 2nd Edition both had 5% of the vote. Yep. So you can see where the love is going on that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. All right. 
on to our semifinals. We have Twilight Struggle versus Risk Legacy, which is really hurts me to debate. Yeah, this one this one's rough. Very... I don't know how I'm going to debate either side. I'm going to do my best because I love both of them. And let's find out which one we argue first. Daniel, you're starting us off. All right, let's see. I am getting Twilight Struggle. Ah, man, this one's this one's tough. This is because both of these games are really, really good. Um, and it, along the lines too, it's like one is very historical, and one is just fun. Which which you love your history. I love my this history. Podcast. Hey, how's it going, corrupt? Uh, so for me. The, the thing I, I think Twilight Struggle should move on because it has so much going for it. It's got the historical aspect of the actual Cold War, uh, how you're trying to influence the world to gain control, the little tug-of-war aspect where the Russians are on top and then the Americans are on top and the Russians back are on top, the, the, the tactical card play to gain control of certain areas and then score those certain areas because you have control of it. My favorite aspect of Twilight Struggle is when I snuck in and took control of Asia from you. You're like, wait, wait, when did you get into Japan? What is going on here? Because you were so busy focusing on Europe that I was able to get in there and I had the Asian scorecard. So I kept popping it every single yeah. time I could to get my PowerPoints up. Mm-hmm. The Just the how you're like... I don't want to use this card because it's going to do something really, really good for me, but it's your specific card or you're right. forced to actually play your the other opponent's card because that's all that's in your hand. Yep. There's a lot of luck aspect to this game, but it is such a phenomenal game that it, it really does give you that tactical, I am the Russian Federation, the USSR, and I'm trying to make sure I kill these capitalists. <laughs> so you're really getting in that aspect. You get that feel of the Cold War era. That's right. Uh, but Risk Legacy is just, oh, I love that game too. So <laughs> so this is an interesting one for me to debate. Like I said, I like both of them quite a bit. I was very impressed with Twilight Struggle, and I went into it not knowing what to expect. I got into Risk Legacy long after playing other Legacy games and knowing that I wanted to play more. Um, so they both have a soft spot, spot yeah. right here. But there's one category that I'm really not sure which, which, which I lean towards. Meaningful choice? No. <laughs> uh, meaningful choice, I do think, very handily Twilight Struggle. Okay. Um, I, yes, there is a random of the card pulls, but that versus dice, you know, like... Oh, well, and it's yeah. not... Yeah, it's, it's random of the card pull, but it's also right. more along the lines, too, how you play that efficiently. Right, yeah, exactly. There's a lot more choice to it. And... And uh, replay value, I'm not totally... I mean, it's definitely Risk Legacy. Yeah, campaign. Because um, it can scale well and all that stuff. Easy play. You also can play Risk with Legacy. more player, yeah. Um, uh, the, the one that I struggle with is Game Immersion. Because they're both fun to lose, no matter what. Yeah. They are both have a lot of player interaction. Like, they're both... And they both have very memorable moments. I think... Memorable moments might be etched out a little bit because of the legacy stuff that we haven't quite experienced yet. That I know because we've already had a few of those mm-hmm. where we're like, "Wow, those are big stand-up moments." But, but the, the thing fact is... that Twilight <laughs> Struggle was in the one turn, you would have won. I ended it yes. on the turn before you yes. would have won the game. Exactly. That but is such I, a moment. I have to call it a wash in my mind, but then art and production is just legacy, legacy. so which sets it apart. Mm-hmm. 
So that's my argument. I think uh, Risk Legacy should move on, but um, just because of those other other options. I mean, yeah. Like, the the only reason I give Risk Legacy ease of play because they're both not very easy. It's just it's the familiarity yeah. of the game right. itself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is it's a very familiar system. There is some aspects of Twilight Struggle that the where the rules are kind of finicky. Like yes. Um, we're like, okay, how does the rounds work? Okay, yeah. how do there's we do certain this? times where you have to like add, ha- like when you control the area, you're it's a one for one unit. Mm-hmm. But if you're fighting against somebody who doesn't control the area, it's half of that. Um, it's a one to two. Yeah, yeah, like it's like there's some fiddliness with it, right? Yes. But that doesn't take anything out of the game. It's once you know those rules, it's like, oh, okay, that's pretty straightforward. But yeah, uh, we're gonna go ahead and move on. Risk Legacy. I agree with you, even though I don't like it. I prefer. As much as I love these games, honestly, I wouldn't say I prefer Twilight Struggle over Risk Legacy because I really do like these games. If you said, hey, let's play this or this, I would have a hard time deciding which game to play. Where some right. of these other games is like, if I, if you want to play this or this, which one would you pick? No, i pick that one hands down. This yeah. one is like, what am I in the mood for? Right. How many are there? Is there three of us? Okay, we can't play Twilight Struggle. If there's just the two of us, hmm. That's... Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> there's two-player legacy games. Eh, probably be fine. But yeah. probably would be amazing. But yeah, risk legacy moving on. So our next one Ooh, is we're gonna anger some people. Oh, there we are. Yeah. Send your hate mail to Daniel at everydayboardgames.com. Oh, it's already. All right, our next one is going to be Rising Sun versus Star Wars X-wing. You'll be starting us off. And I get apparently Star Wars, both of them, Star Wars X-wing because that was on top. Okay, that was good. Uh, Rising Sun, X-Wing, Star Wars Edition. <laughs> so then, uh, I have to argue Star Wars X-Wing. I will say this about this game. When it came out, it blew my mind. It uh, it just was spectacular because it's like, it really did feel like I was dogfighting uh, in the Star Wars game. If I was playing the Empire side, I was driving those TIE fighters and I wanted to take down that Millennium Falcon. Uh, and so it, it has got that aspect of it, but on the same lines of when it comes to fantasy flight games, it got super bloated, super quick. Right. They got, you can't say they don't support their games, right? They do. Uh, for a while. The, the, the big thing of what I liked about this game is that it did give you that feel, though it is very, very lucky. There's, there is some meaningful choice in this game, but you're beholden to the dice roll Mm -hmm. determine if you you hit your shot, or if you played your card right and made your turn properly. Uh, I do like that aspect where you have like the little rulers to tell you how your flight is in this way. Okay, now I'm behind you, or I did a loop around you, so now I'm behind you again. Yeah. I-, I loved a lot of that aspect of it, but if I had to choose between these two, honestly, even though i got to argue for Star Wars X-Wing, it just I don't feel like it's moving on, because the really big thing about it really is the minis <laughs> for me. Yeah. To you. All right, Rising Sun. Dude's on a map, but it's very much negotiation on top of area control. Less of a war game, which I feel is a big knock to it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when we're arguing this category. It, it's it's hard to justify it being in here as much as X-Wing definitely has the right to be. I agree with you, Luminous, but pre-painted minis versus plastic, no, not even a wash mini. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, I mean... Yeah, the minis are great in Rising Sun, but they're not painted. They're not pre-painted. They're not, like, uh, varnished. 
they they didn't have that presentation where they could have a mini behind a clear piece of plastic mm. at the store and go, okay, I suddenly want that now. Yeah. Like oh, I that mean, really looks like the Millennium Falcon. Right. Yeah, and it can't be solved easily by painting it, but I can't. I don't have the time for that or the actual skill for it. I don't have a steady hand. Yeah, exactly. So I, or you could pay somebody to do it, but again, I'm paying Fantasy Flight to do do that. Yeah. So no, as far as art and production, I think it irks out a little bit just because Fantasy Flight really does know how to do that. Yeah. Um, and that is not to say that Rising Sun doesn't. Or CMON doesn't know how to do that. They've solved pretty much everything else. But this really encompassed exactly what it needed to be. Um, but with that being said, though, I'm arguing for Rising Sun. The level of player interaction in this was interesting. When I played it, there was a lot of choice. There was a lot of strategy. There was a lot of depth to my decisions when I was playing. Um, until there wasn't. And then there was times where you would just be like, okay, well, uh, I guess I'll do this mm-hmm. since we're partnered up anyway. Um, yeah, that's cool. Like, you're going to do that? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's like, all right. You know, and it's like, well, I know this bond is going to be broken anyway. It's like, is, that makes sense. <laughs> is this the time for me to do it? Yeah, that's the time. It's like, should I do it? Do you, you want to? Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. It, it was cool. Um, and I did like all the special abilities and stuff. But there's something about the way that X-Wing felt that just, I would want to get it to the table more. That there's a reason this was ever in my collection. So I think we need to break it down, um, just for all fairness. Well, no, when you're saying to the table more, I'd get Rising Sun over more than X-Wing. Cause... Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. It, this is my personal opinion. I think I would get it to the table. X-Wing's easier um, to play. X-Wing is easier to play. Yeah, I agree. Remake value. value. This is... And when it comes to the expendability, both of them have a lot of expendability. The, yes. the only thing I say Rising Sun gets it is because it's more unique. There's only so many times you can play a different type of X-Wing ship. There's only so much you can do with the Y-Wings. Then you have like your special versions of the Y-Wing or the X-Wing and stuff like right. that. Yeah, and you did have some you had scenarios, some good ones, yeah. but more so it was in Armada when it came across mm-hmm. like different scenario based. So I okay, I'll give it that. Replay value can go to a rising sun. Uh meaningful choice, that was rising sun. Rising sun. That's not even arguing. Immersion though, I definitely felt that immersion with Star Wars. Yeah, I give you that. I I, I mean but, I feel it more than I do in Rising Sun, I'll admit that and, because I did get into that role right. playing. I'm the Empire, I'm sure. doing this. Yeah, and and not to say that Rising Sun Sun is unthematic but I didn't feel like I was legitimately fighting feudal Japan. I just felt like I was like, oh, you're well, I'm putting you're, my you're, yin to your yang. That's you're all you're fighting doing. in a, a, feudal China, a fantasy but, feudal Japan. Yeah, fantasy <laughs> feudal Japan. And it's like, I don't know. I didn't get much from that, personally. So but, here's the trick with the art and production. The pieces and components. The X-Wing. Here's the problem. It's the pieces in the components. Yeah. The minis are really nice. But yep. the the actual coins and stuff like that, uh, the the tiles in Rising Sun mm-hmm. that you're bidding on, those are really, really good. For me, right there, that's a wash because, yes, they beat you on the mini part of it, hands down. All the other components in Rising Sun destroy the components. Well, because you've got those thing. flimsy cardboard Oh, rulers. no, those are very thick rulers. I, I think those are fine. The dice are fine with what they need to do. The tokens are a little weird. Uh, the cards were really good, and the dials were good. Uh, what set it apart... So I think, are the cards in Rising things, Sun. Yeah. One of the things I think also sets it apart that I think is really neat, though, is that multiple places started selling uh, 
uh, three foot by three foot, like, different themed Star Wars mats that would act as essentially the backdrop. Well, to if you want to go that fact, I have the Rising Sun playmat. Sure, but it's just a playmat <laughs> version of the board. This didn't, I mean, you could play without a board at all, but the fact that you could add that extra layer of thing. I'm not disagreeing that I think it should be a wash on that part, but But you're I arguing, love that. I'm like, I have the playmat, so it's the same difference. Exactly. <laughs> Like, a superfluous add-on just so they can add flavor. It's like, oh, well, we're going to be right outside of Tatooine, you know. Yeah. Here's Tatooine off in the distance. We can see it. We're flying over this distance. You can there set you go. The why, why can't you just project a background down? <laughs> Instead of getting a new playbook. No, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> this is price aside, but I'm saying that was legitimately an off, an oftenly used thing, especially in tournaments. I, I do like the graphic design more in Rising Sun. It's easy to read, easy to see. Uh, yeah, to an extent. There's not much graphic design other than the cards. Right, but that can't be a knock to it. Just I'm not saying, more, I'm just saying the one that is better is yeah. Rising Sun. The other thing is the art. My issue with the art in X-Wing, it's so close to screen capture. Close. It is art itself, but it's so close to screen capture. Some would call that talented. No, that's uh, someone would call that Tracy. <laughs> hey, ABQ <laughs> Place. <laughs> yes, like Arc Nova. <laughs> uh you know, for the art alone, I will give that to Rising Sun. I think art production needs that Rising Sun. Which means I lost count of what art, <laughs> which roads that we had. Okay, so this was Star Wars. Okay. This was Rising Sun. Play. So Rising Sun, okay. Uh, that was Rising Sun. That was Star Wars. This is Rising Sun. Three to two. Rising Sun moves on. All right, the Battle of the R's. This will be Rising Sun... Versus Risk Legacy for the best of war game. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> uh, All right. So our eliminated here. Twilight Struggle was our leading vote getter at 13%. Star Wars X-Wing, 3%. I'm so sorry. Anybody <laughs> who's legitimately a war gamer listening to this. Um, <laughs> And Illuminous, I don't disagree, but there is one game where stock photos are just absolutely on point, and that is Earth. Uh, I highly recommend Earth. That I still need to get my copy. Game Steward just like, hey, hey, we know. We haven't sent it out. We haven't received the copies yet. Yep. We'll get that. We'll get that. <laughs> don't yell at us. Like, I guess they're getting like a bunch of emails getting yelled at us. Oh, yeah. I believe it. I'm like, it still hasn't gotten to the stores yet. No. But... Uh, Wow, we have an interesting championship, huh? That's right. And as I mentioned, I already did the percentages, so let's go into this. All right, and in this last round, we do not take sides. We do not have to argue each side. We're going to argue the points that are there. Uh, but I would like to make a comment first off. Okay. Um, Risk Legacy is 100%. It is a war game. It is the before, the during, and the after of a war, war. with the world... Set as its setting. Okay, so as a theme. we're in an I, agreement. Game immersion for <laughs> game immersion. Risk legacy, hands down. I I, like, I do not argue that point because no. it gives you that feel. Our production though is Rising Sun. Yes, I agree with that. Okay, um, replay value. I would give that to Risk, Risk legacy. legacy just because it is a campaign. So yep, exactly. By the way, I'm actually reading the uh, um, 
the Rising Sun comic uh, our buddy lent us. I oh, finished the Cthulhu good. Death May Die. That oh. was really good. Oh, this cool. one so far, not bad. Oh, that's interesting. So replay value. Let, let me know when you read the Risk Legacy comic. Oh, I'm surprised Hasbro hasn't done it. <laughs> and now we have a debate going off in our chat. We have Luminous <laughs> saying darn Mary Trash. ABQ saying Mary Trash for life. I love this. Use our criteria to duke it out. Do it. <laughs> Alright. Um, so game version. Meaningful choice. That would That's a tough certainly one. be... No, that That is Rising Sun. Uh, yeah, because you hold into the, the, yes. the dice. It is 100% Rising Sun. There is less choice. There are more tactics in... In Risk Legacy to an extent, but really, I mean, there's times where you just might get screwed over. All right, so I have it written down. It's two to two. Yep, and what is our final category? Ease of play. Risk. Risk? <laughs> That's not even close, Risk Legacy. Even though that legacy aspect of it, it only comes into play later on, which means Risk Legacy this just is the won. best war game. <laughs> oh, my goodness. At least it was a risk of some sort. <laughs> No tiebreaker? No. Well, let, let's talk about the, the votes. You're hurting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Rising Sun. <laughs> well, let, we already know Risk Legacy's votes. It's 0%. Zero percent of the votes. Rising Sun was, uh, it was the two seat, so it's way up here. It only had 6%, so there's only a 6% difference between the two. It's less than 10. Oh. <laughs> You know, this is the episode where everyone's just like, you know what? I quit. <laughs> Luminous, I'm cringing. I don't blame you, Luminous. I, though I do love both of these games, Risk Legacy yes. is more of a war game than a dudes on the map game. Right. And now, realistically, what I think, um, if this was a much larger debate, more people were debating it, Twilight Struggle would be the pick out of all these. And there's a reason it's the highest ranked one out of these. What, what's um, funny is this is one of our highest vote gets, too. It had oh, yeah. 131 votes. Yeah, that's right, because people understand war games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that hurts. But, no, th this has been a silly episode. Uh, we're going to stick around after the episode's done, but we're going to do a send-off right now. That was a fun one. Um, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. If you ever want to join us, like our friends, ABQ Plays, Illuminous, or Corrupt Senate, join us at twitch.tv slash everydayboardgames. And make sure you subscribe to that channel to no be notified every time we do a live episode and join in on the conversation. Boy, is it a blast. All video re-uploads can be found on YouTube at everyday uh, at youtube.com slash everydayboardgamespodcast. And if you like what we do, there are three things you can do to help us grow on the platform. Subscribe if you're not. Like the video and comment down below and tell us your thoughts on the subject. As well as all audio versions can be found on most podcast platforms under Everyday Board Games Podcast. This includes Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and Podbean. And if you want to email us directly, you can email us at everydayboardgames2020 at gmail.com. You can email us whether you want to give us ideas for future episodes, uh, just to say hello, or possibly enter in future contests or events that we have later on. Or, if you want to send us hate mail, send it to daniel at everydayboardgames.com. And with that being said, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you for joining us on this wonderful episode of totally unbiased, like, the best <laughs> decisions in wargamings. Anyway, have a great one. We want to thank you for listening to Everyday Board Games. And remember, every day is a good day for board gaming.